0: Today's episode is with retired Colonel Jeffrey Fisher He's an author, he's an international security expert He uh, was a special operation forces for NATO, diplomat, and the Pentagon Uh, Seven combat tours, this guy is... He's got the creds, to put it mildly And given all of the fog of war we're dealing with With the Israel-Palestine situation Including this horrific strike on the hospital in Palestine yesterday, where over 500 people were tragically killed, I thought I would have on an expert to try and give us some insights as to what may have occurred. And I'll spoiler alert it by telling you, we don't have a firm, firm conclusion, but there's a tremendous amount of insight as to what he thinks is most probable. And unfortunately, it aligns with my assessment. So, I'll save that for the end. You guys will uh, have to have to check it out to to get a handle on everything. There's a lot to discuss. We also break down the entire Russia-Ukraine war and, and what he sees happening there. I will also forewarn you, he has a interventionist stance. He is very much not in our camp in terms of non-intervention or libertarianism. Uh, however, I think that his expertise uh, gives us a ton of insights regardless of, you know, whether you agree with his conclusions as to what we ought to do moving forward. I think that there was a lot of common ground as to what we are dealing with currently, and I think you will find it extremely enlightening. So I hope you guys enjoy this. If you do me a huge favor and hit the like button, if you're a new viewer or listener, please do subscribe. And uh, last but not least, leave a comment and pick up any Liberty Lockdown shirts or merch over at TopLobster.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Nadeau Shave Co. Big Shave has been slapping the American people for decades. Wool companies like Gillette and Harry's try their hardest to convince us that using plastic multi-blade cartridge razors is the best way to shave. The truth is that these disposable cartridge razors are the cause of razor bumps, irritation, and ingrown hairs. They also cost a fortune. You don't need expensive replacement. You need one stainless steel blade. I didn't realize it, but I had been doing it wrong all these years, and then... I got one Nadeau razor, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is is what I should have been doing all along. Whether you're shaving your entire face or just edging up your beard, their single blades provide a barber-grade shave for a fraction of the price. Their standard issue includes traditional safety razor and a box of 100 stainless steel razor blades. They're plastic-free, 100% recyclable, And $55, just 55 Smackerinis, allows you to shave for an entire effing year. Consider that and contrast that with what you're paying for your Gillette or whatever you're using currently. It is a bargain, and it's the highest quality shave I've ever had. And for those who like to use a brand new blade for each shave, sign up for their Quarter Shave Club, where members pay just $0.25 a shave. Take down Big Shave and visit NadeauShaveCo.com to try their traditional safety razors. Veteran-owned, family-operated, use promo code LOCKDOWN for 15% off your entire order. Again, that's N-A-D-E-A-U, ShaveCo.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. Get one today. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. I was on a Twitter spaces uh, last night, and I heard uh, this gentleman that was blowing my mind with the the depth of understanding as to what we were seeing uh, as many of you are already aware there was a hospital in palestine that was blown up and the current estimates are between 400 and 500 or more uh people were murdered and we don't know at this point so let me just start by saying we do not know for sure but i think that everyone's trying to figure this out because it could be uh cassis i think is how you pronounce it uh, and for for many of the neighboring uh, Islamic and Arab states, uh, that's my gravest concern is that if they believe that the IDF did this intentionally, that you could see a regional war that gets quickly out of hand, given that we have an American strike group uh, or two in the Mediterranean already and 2,000 troops gearing up to go over there. Uh, basically, I'm shitting my pants, Jeff. So <laughs> we have with us tonight Jeffrey Fisher, a.k.a. Fish, he is a uh, military veteran as well as an author. And uh, Jeff, if you could give or fish, if you could give my uh, audience a, a, a backdrop to to your career and and basically what you thought you saw.
1: Sure. So, uh, hey, first of all, Clint, thanks for having me on. And uh, and uh, we are in very very the, your audience doesn't know this yet, but we're in very very different time zones. You have a dark background. I have a light background. So you Indeed. stayed up late, and I got up early. And I, I truly appreciate that uh, to make this happen. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, so I, I I started off my military career as an aviator. I flew an airplane in the, the air, uh, U.S. Air Force called uh, Compass Call, which is a counter communications, uh, counter radar denial platform. Was lucky enough be, uh, to be accepted over to uh, an exchange program to fly with the Navy. So I have carrier time I, uh, in the Air Force. I have 118 traps on the USS Constellation. Um, in the Air Force, that's 118 bad decisions because you should never land on a boat. You should always <laughs> land on, on a runway. Um, after that, uh, I did some uh, some staff tours at the Pentagon. Was also lucky enough to be selected to be a, a ground force commander. Believe it or not, in Afghanistan, so I was a PRT commander uh, along with the Army. I had a, a, a battalion of of Americans and a battalion of of Romanians assigned underneath me, which quite entertaining. Uh, lots of stories there as well. Um, uh, my career took a little bit of a twist towards the end. I was selected to be a senior diplomat. So I was, uh, the senior military advisor to the U S ambassador at OSCE. And then I was the defense attache to Kosovo. So I got, I got a very broad, uh, I've got a broad yeah. career. Um, uh, and, and it served me well. I, I, I ended up my, uh, my last job was out of NATO special ops headquarters. I was a senior officer there giving advice to the to the three-star admiral, who was a former Navy SEAL, six-team commander, uh, and um, yeah, so that's all good. Um, with respect to the, you know, so so, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to your initial comments, right? We don't know, right, what happened to this. Hom- we know the hospital blew up, right? So so we know that. And as a as a ground force commander, um, I was always told, and it, it's proven, right, the first pieces of information that you get in in combat. Uh, 90% of the time are not accurate. Doesn't mean they're not true, it just doesn't mean all the data is not there, right? Right. So this uh, and and it's it's not unlike Hamas or Israel to play the blame blame, blame game immediately, right? right? And and throw out videos and footage. So or, let's Or any other government for that matter. <laughs> they all kind of do that. 100%, right? Let let's you are a you're you're right. Information operations and strategic communication has become uh, it used to be only a government's game. Right. But now with with the advent of the Internet and social media and platforms like yours that and and, and having hosts on that are relatively credible, hopefully like myself, um, you can counter some of these these strategic communications. Right. Or at least at least attack them um, uh, professionally. So mm-hmm.
0: uh, when you that's, were that's listening- why I invited you on, because I didn't want to <laughs> do it unprofessionally, because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But I was like, I listened to you talk and I was like, this guy knows what he's talking about. I got to get him on. Fair. Um, so so look, what, what we know is the hospital, there's
1: 500 people that are reported as killed. Um, that number could be inflated. It could not be inflated. We know that there's a lot, right? So let, let's go with that. Um, and it, Hamas is claiming that this was an errant uh, or potentially in- intentional bomb dropped from an F-16 by the Israeli Air Force. So what do we know about that? We know that the Israeli Air Force uh, predominantly is dropping what's called a Mark 84, uh, which is the, the size of a bomb, right? A Mark 84 is a dumb bomb that have been in a Mark 84 that's been affixed with um, JDAM kits. So it has GPS guidance systems and, and these GPS guidance systems are really, really good as long as there's nothing to interfere with the GPS signal and as long as the pilot has inputted the correct information into the bomb uh, as for a waypoint and targeting information Mm -hmm. so if all that's good the the bomb's got a probably about a 95 percent success rate which is really good for a strategic or for a a precision weapon um but has Hamas started getting some GPS jamming maybe Mm -hmm. um it's not hard right the the you know, the Russians are using a lot of GPS jamming uh, in Ukraine. We know this because when we look at topo- uh, topographic imagery, the battle space looks more reminiscent of World War One with pockmarks, you know, all over the battle space. And it's far from a p- precision war, right? <laughs> this, mm. is, this is not precise. So, okay, so that could happen as well. Um, we have... Uh, video with audio that would suggest that um, this is Israel because there's there's audio of numerous JDAM attacks. And, you know, a a JDAM or a bomb drop from an airplane has a very distinct sound coming in. Uh, It's traveling at a very fast uh, uh, speed and it's got almost this hiss right before it comes in. It has no it's not a rocket. Right. So it doesn't have a flame kicking out of the back of it. Uh, and a Mark 84, which is 2000 pounds. Mark 82 is 500. Mark 83 is 1000. Mark 84, which Israel's dropping is 2000 pounds. This is, you know, I, 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 sometimes in war, we get a little bit perverse, but we call these the crowd pleasers, right? This is the biggest one that, that comes off the airplane. It, hmm. it it leaves a mark, right? Which is why, you know, I'll, I'll let your your listeners know. I, the first thing I asked you before we started was, have you seen any images, right? I really want to see pictures of the hospital and see how the attack unfolded and be able to get eyes on it because I think the size and scope of damage is going to be either very clearly aligned to a, a JDAM Mark 84 or it's going to be aligned to maybe like a Qassam rocket. Uh, mm-hmm. or you know, and 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 now we can go to the Hamas side, right? That so the, well, the Israeli states, before, say you, it's a, but before
0: you switch to the Hamas side, let me go ahead and play that video that you're talking about where we can hear the different. Uh, sounds, because I, I found that to be one of the more compelling pieces of evidence, if you will. Uh, here we go. So that first one was Hamas, and this is a U.S. J.D.A.M. And now this is the strike on the hospital, allegedly. Keeping in mind that it's a a bit further away from the hospital, but from from my you know uneducated ears, it does sound much more like the uh, like the J dam. So go sure,
1: ahead. and and I would say that the the strike that we see at night that that's causing that very large explosion is most likely a J dam. That the audio is compelling. What we don't know is. You know, was that truly from last night? Was that the hospital? I I, I I
0: can't see the target, right? true. so i so I don't know, right? um I haven't I haven't just let me say I have not seen anyone contend that that footage is not the correct one uh, for the hospital. and you know, everything gets refuted. So I found that fascinating that so far at least I have not seen anyone saying that that is not the actual strike. so just two cents,
1: yeah, fair, fair enough, right. And um that. <laughs> I think when nations, you know, start their strategic campaigns against, uh, you know, counter narratives, um, whatever they say is it just gets massively parroted on the Internet. Right. So until exactly, I, I don't know, uh, I have, I'm not I have people
0: to- I have people countering me in real time just with tweets from Israel's account on Twitter. And I'm like, I'm like, respectfully, uh, that doesn't really mean anything to me like like if I were to post the the Hamas uh, PR release on this would you would you take that at face value it's nonsense i mean come on anyways go ahead
1: (laughs) no no, you're right and and look i i don't i don't want this to to devolve down to you know how how strategic messaging works i was actually i was actually an information operations officer because electronic warfare for a long time was was info ops and i i value the 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 how important strategic messaging can be right what 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 can it do Look, both sides are, are at fault. Uh, the social media, uh, uh, social justice, social media warriors out there, they're all good, right? They all got their fingers and they all type. Look, I don't dismiss that Hamas probably did kill some babies. They didn't behead 40, but they killed some babies. I mean, what? what at, at what point is this good, right? I mean, it, it, they kill babies, right? Mm-hmm. Israel is responsible for many atrocities. And, and we can walk back counter narratives where someone overstepped and said, well, they did this. Well, no, they didn't do X, but they clearly did Y, which is just as bad. So let's let's try and let's temper some of the emotion and have a, a valid discussion is kind of where I always try and come from. I don't always win. right? And I don't always I don't always
0: not uh, let my emotions start to climb. But I try. So. Sure, sure. I've, I've been doing the same thing for the past week. I, I've been trying to just implore my audience to. Even though we're we're witnessing atrocities on on a scale that we really haven't before, because we didn't have the technology to see all this all of this stuff in real time. I mean, up until like the Ukraine war, I, I don't think we really saw you know such gruesome battlefield images in real time. You may have because you were in the military, but we didn't. So this is a kind of a new phenomenon, and and everyone is kind of armchair quarterbacking and trying to figure out. Uh, or armchair generaling, even where we're trying to like, like assess battlefield conditions and figure everything out. It's it's way above our pay grade, but uh, unfortunately, because we live in an era where the governments are lying to us so aggressively, including my own, uh, it forces us all to kind of try and and suss out what the truth is. And that's not a good place to be in, but I think it's kind of better than just trusting at face value whatever your government's telling you as they try and get you into another uh, war that is hopefully avoidable. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, that that I, I completely agree, right? I, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, from 2011 to 2014, I, I told you I was the, I was the senior <clears throat> military advisor to the OSCE. And the OSCE is the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. It's kind of like the United Nations, just for Europe. Many of the arms control treaties that are managed for Europe that are conventional are are, are, are housed there. I was a, I was the senior military guy responsible for arms control policy, uh, debating and, and, and discussing with my counterparts from Russia, right? The Russian ambassador, the Russian senior military advisor. Um, but I was in that organization when Crimea happened and when Luhansk and Donetsk happened. Right. And and I was on numerous video conferences with the White House, um, uh, along with General Breedlove, who is the Ucom commander. Uh, a lot of these are classified at the TSSCI level. Right. So I can't I can't divulge too much. But but I sat in those rooms and many times I thought, you know, the American people kind of need to hear this. Right. The and, and the American people deserve to know both the good and the bad. And I I often wish that our government was far more transparent. Um, you great. and I differ. I, I'll, I'm sure you probably are read, read my profiles and stuff. You and I differ on on where the United States should be with respect to the U- Ukraine and Russia war. And that's fine. We, we can agree to disagree and we can both be professionals. And that's great. I, I look at what's going on in Russian and Ukraine because I have tons and tons of background and tons and tons of stuff that the U.S. government won't make transparent. And why they won't do that, I I, I just don't know. I'm not authorized to release classified information, yeah. or I would. Um, so, so my context is a little bit different. I can understand why people um, such as yourself, Clint, or, or others out there are like, why the F are we doing what we're doing in Ukraine without all the context I have? And unfortunately, I can't share it with you. So we just have to agree to disagree, right?
0: Fair enough. Yeah, i I would love I would love to know because I, I, you know, I've just not heard a truly compelling argument. I, it, oftentimes, it's kind of, you know, geostrategic interests and like, you know, fucking boilerplate shit that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm like, <laughs> like I don't know what that means, man. Like, uh, yeah, I understand you want to have like regional control, but from my perspective, as kind of an America first styled libertarian who's very non interventionist. I'm just like we're bleeding financially my background is in is in finance so i'm like we're, we can't continue to police the world to this scale so unless you have a truly a truly compelling reason i do not understand why we're risking the potential for world war three or you know a nuclear war or even a one-on-one hot war with russia that has over six thousand nuclear warheads many of which are from my understanding are more advanced than our own it just seems suicidal and crazy so I don't know if you, if you have any insights that are not confidential that you'd like to throw at me, I'd love to hear it. Uh, um, do we want okay. So <laughs> if you so can, before we go
1: there, do do we want to go back to the Hamas rockets or where are we moving
0: on? Uh, no, no, no. I, I mean, this is a free flowing conversation. So w- okay. wherever you want to take it, we can go. All right. Yeah. So, so look, I, I, listened in on, um, a couple of your,
1: your, um, your broadcasts and, and I, uh, I listened in on uh, the one where I, I I want to say it was talking about Russian history of, you know, when the when the wall fell, the Warsaw Pact dissolved uh, and how Russia had aspirations to be in NATO and they wanted to kind of move forward. And I I I won't dispute any of the the data points in there um, because I think they're all just disputing them would be, you know, um, not worth it. Right. Be quibbling. And and I'm not a quibbler. What what I would argue, though, is I think that there was a lot of data points that were were missed and and undoubtedly.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so i'm talking so, about the entire history of the of russia since the ussr fell. like yeah i left a lot out for sure right
1: and and look clint I, i'm not going to change your opinion right I, I i get that i i'm just providing why i i have the context i do so you might you so, could
0: change my opinion i'm like yeah, honestly man. i'm well, i mean i'm a non-interventionist so you probably won't change my opinion there but yeah. you could certainly change my opinion on some of the things that i said for sure yeah so so, look, I don't I don't like war.
1: Uh, I've been to combat seven times. I, I think war is the most grotesque thing that humanity can do. Um, I I am as as I told you before we started, uh, all my fiction thrillers are based on a protagonist who has PTSD, just like I do. Um, and uh, and I struggle with it every day. Sure. Uh, it doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make me different. Nothing. It doesn't make me uh, weird. It's just it's just something that I have to deal with. Uh, I recently just got a service dog named Zoe, and and that, that's going awesome. But Great. but look, I, I I don't so I don't like war. Right? <laughs> I I can I can assure you I'm not a warmonger. Right. Um. Uh. And and I especially think especially once been, you've seen it, it's hard to be yeah, a warmonger, I would imagine exactly right. I, you know I I'll, I'll I'll tell you one quick you know cot you know vignette to, to help you know frame this right. I've been a ground force commander in Afghanistan for a while. Uh, I owned a base called Fab Logman. I, I was the commander. And I was walking, getting ready to go to to lunch, and my deputy drove by in one of these, you know, the little golf kind of carts that have mm-hmm. the big open area in the back for all the cargo stuff. And in the back was probably somewhere between five and eight uh, dead uh, Afghan soldiers who were driving in a the equivalent of like a Chevy S10 uh, and hit a landmine that was intended to blow up a tank. Wow. Right, And they were they were riding in the back of it. So th- th- these aren't bodies, these are just pieces, right? Yeah. And and they're all strewn in, faces, legs, feet, boots with a foot in it and stuff like that. And you become so immune to this, right? As he drives by, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I gotta get these over to the morgue. You gotta try and figure out who they are. And, uh, and I'm like, oh yeah. And you know, there's flies flying around It smells. And I'm like, and I literally look at them. And I'm like, hey, do you know, you know what's for lunch today? <laughs> oh, I'm so detached goodness. from reality that it's like, I'm, I'm curious what's on the menu for lunch. Like I've yeah. lost, <laughs> I've, I've lost the bubble of humanity for a while.
0: And and yeah. and to be fair, I think this is one of the only ways you can actually cope with and survive through fighting it. Uh, right? To- it's totally human nature that you would kind of inoculate inoculate yourself to the the horror of it all. I, I actually I grew up in San Diego, so. I had a ton of marine friends that I played beach volleyball with and, you know, both before and after they deployed and, you know, the shift in them is so significant and many of them fought, you know, I'm, I'm old enough that many of them fought in the war on terror, some of them in Kabul and Afghanistan. So, uh, you know, I saw like the, the alcoholism, the suicidal ideation, it was, I mean, this is part of the reason I'm so fiercely anti-war is because I, I saw the, the human toll in some of my best friends. And it's, uh, it's heartbreaking, but, you know, I, I'm also not naive enough to think that war is entirely avoidable. I just think that it should only be entered into in hopefully the most righteous of circumstances, which is rare.
1: Yeah. So, so I think we're actually pretty closely aligned, right? Um, so let's go back to Ukraine a little bit, right? <clears throat> sure. Um, I, I watched in 2014 when Russia went into Crimea uh, at the senior most level the Russian ambassadors and Russian diplomats that I'd worked for with three years, right? In 2011 to 2013, Russia was actually, in the United States was getting along, right? We had new start treaty. We had a lot of, a lot of good movement, right? And, um, and, and there were issues, right? I mean, let's be fair. When the wall fell in Russia, they kind of carved out a piece of Moldova called Transnistria, which is a, even to this day is still a frozen conflict. They helped Armenia carve a piece out of, out of uh, Azerbaijan called Nargana Karabakh, uh, which is- There's has some been, problems there. <laughs> right? And and they also carved into, into part of Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. And while I don't agree with any of those things happening, I can completely understand based on those three things, the Western response to those were, we're going to call these frozen conflicts and we're going to tell Vladimir Putin that, hey, we're going to do sanctions <laughs> and, and we're going to write diplomatic notes and note verbals, and we're going to really- we're really going to put some pen to paper here, and we're going to tell you you shouldn't do this. Well, if you're Vladimir Putin, and, and all you've gotten is a couple of sanctions that you've been able to work through, right? You've been able to live. Yes, the Russian people suffer, but I mean that. I, I mean, don't don't take this the wrong way, but the Russian culture is this eternal struggle, right? These people struggle. They. Yeah. I don't say they it's, love it, it and is, strive for it, a struggle, it, it, but
0: that this is how they've lived. Right. It um, been a, so, it's been many, many decades, if not uh, <laughs> longer of of struggle and suffering, for sure. Right.
1: And I'm not I'm not trying to be a jerk to them. I'm just that, that, no. that's who they are. I, I've met a lot of them. Right. Yeah. So. So makes, why are great Putin? UFC fighters? <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Right. So if you're if you're if you're Vladimir Putin, why wouldn't you go for Crimea if, if you haven't been stopped? Why not? Why not go for Luhansk and Donetsk? I think when he went into Kiev, that he's like, wait a minute, and and then the response was massive. He's like, what? What did you guys just do? What the frick happened? You you've never stopped me before. Why? Why now? Like I think he I I can understand him being mad. All that being said. The, the lies the the falsehoods the narratives the, the you know the the russia continually carving i think a lot they do information operations really good and they've convinced a lot of people in the west that they you know that this nato expansionism is really bad and that's why they went in to do what they did and i've never been a, a i've never been a believer that non kinetic diplomatic moves by a nations or or nation states has the justification for war. Never believe that, right? This whole, you you forced my hand, I had to do it because of NATO expansion. I would also argue that, you know, the, the counter is is what, ha- perhaps a discussion for another day, but what if George Kennan was right in 1998? When he told the United States government, hey, this NATO expansion could be bad, set so, us so up for another Cold War, and we didn't let all the nations in in 1999 and thereafter, right? The Baltics didn't get in, Poland, uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, what would Europe in 1999, so we're talking a quarter century, what would Europe look like <laughs> if these nations just were denied entry into NATO? I would argue that the one statistic that I'm very, very proud of as an American, I'm not saying we get it right all the time, is, and, and NATO, because I left NATO, right? And NATO's a NATO is a hot chocolate mess. Anyone who says NATO is perfect, I'm like, dude, you're nuts, right? Sure. It's not. I was, <laughs> it's crazy. But Europe has enjoyed its longest reign of peace since recorded history, right? Sure. No, you. I, I don't Th- deny that, that at all. That probably, that's, now there's no way to prove a negative. Okay. That statistic though, I would argue, probably wouldn't exist if NATO didn't expand. And when we talk about NATO expansion, the other thing that I also like to remind people is, look, this was a coalition of the willing. And I mean on both sides. A nation that wants to join NATO has to volunteer. They have to vote. It has to be referendum. But more importantly, the NATO nations all have to say, "Right, we want we want you to come in." So this isn't some kind of you know <laughs> lurching and creeping, kind of like Russia did in 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 Moldova with trend, with the, with the frozen conflicts. Right. This, this isn't a cut away and carve away a piece. This is hey, if you want in, send us your best resume. We'll review it. If your if your resume looks good, we're we're gonna let you in.
0: So. Right. No, yes. I, I, and and I understand that rationale. And I, I don't deny at all that that there has been the the longest period of peace in Europe, particularly Eastern Europe, uh, thanks to the expansion of NATO. The the issue or the contention that I make is that, you know, first off, when you when you have these kind of two big dogs, and and one of the dogs gets a broken leg, and the other one starts taking roids, which was kind of what happened with America versus Russia a, after 1990. Um, obviously i'm referencing the American Empire as the one that's sure. taking roids <clears throat> and you have all of these uh you know interventions you have many many wars um and and then you've also made promises to to Russia that you're not going to expand and then you expand twenty nations uh it does it does strike me as breaking a promise a significant one and and I'll grant you that perhaps that's not you know putin's Reason for doing what he's done uh, But I think that for the Russian people Even if they're being propagandized by Putin Which is a distinct possibility They take it as that And they and they, they feel as if that they are, are Being more and more threatened Because, you know, from my vantage point You may disagree with this But from my vantage point America has not acted as a strictly benevolent uh, You know, leader of the world uh, I think that after after the, uh, 9-11 and the war on terror where we, we toppled so many nations that had nothing to do with 9-11, we kind of lost our moral authority to just say, well, we're out here just doing good and defending ourselves. And that's not how the rest of the world perceives us to a large extent. It's not how I perceive us, unfortunately, any longer. Um, so, all that to say, uh, I think that there is, there is reason for the Russian people to be skeptical, that, you know, we're just, these nations want to be with us. It's like, well, these nations want to be with us, in, in large part, because they're fucking afraid of us. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, not, not all of them. I'm, many of them do it for the right reason, but they know like, once they're in NATO, once they're in the good graces of both the EU and the United States, uh, both their economy and their security will be uh, improved but it also when you decrease the amount of small wars that break out you you increase in my estimation the potential for very cataclysmic wars and and because we're intervening on behalf of these smaller nations against russia i think that we are kind of delaying the day of reckoning where all of these you know old uh, bad blood issues between smaller nations and bigger nations start to come to the fore and i think that's what we're seeing with you know china kind of saber rattling towards taiwan uh, you now have Israel and Palestine going at it. It's like what I'm seeing, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. I'm seeing a lot of old, uh, you know, old wounds that that have just kind of been festering. Well, America was this this global powerhouse, and now as we're declining in influence, you're seeing these all bubble up. Tell me if you think that's accurate or not.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. Right? Yes.
0: Sorry, that was quite the monologue. I apologize. <laughs> it's all
1: good. Um, look, I. I the West gave uh, Russia a verbal. There's nothing written that, that they wouldn't expand, right? And I, I'm a kind of guy, as a military guy, I like your words, your honor, right? So I, so I get the point that there was a, there was a verbal uh, agreement, right? And there, mm-hmm. and there's actually State Department internal documentation that would say, hey, we we kind of said this, okay? We, <laughs> yes. we, didn't, we didn't sign a piece of paper, um, but we said this. Nations act in their best interests, and they'll stay in a treaty or they'll keep they'll keep to a commitment as long as it's viable for them. <laughs> Russia's abandoned all of their treaties, right? All of their treaties with the United States, they've abandoned them because they're no longer viable. They abandoned the Conventional Forces uh, Europe Treaty, which was a treaty, right, and, and allowed for transparency and calculus in 2009 because it was no longer in their interest to actually remain in the treaty. Um, and Russia broke a literally, you know, signed executive level document called the Budapest Memorandum, where they were going to respect the borders of Ukraine forever. So, so I get the point when you know when someone says, "Hey, well, the United States and the and the West kind of violated the, the this verbal agreement." Well, when we talk about agreements, they're, 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 nation nation states act in their best interests, right? And yeah. they and they always will. That this shouldn't and, shock anybody.
0: And to to uh, clarify, I I agree with you that Russia has. You know violated uh, a bunch of agreements the u.s has as well i mean we, no, we yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 we've unilaterally i mean not just the verbal ones we've unilaterally withdrawn from from other treaties that we had with them too so it's like i think that it's you're right but it's like it goes both ways that's all
1: yeah uh, look uh, so you're right and um i'll give you an example of one of the treaties where the united states withdrew. right and, and the and russia loves to throw this one it's called the inf treaty right the intermediate exactly. nuclear uh that's the one i was thinking tri- of right yeah so interestingly, um I was I I in 2012 and 2011 knew that Russia was violating the INF. I I was read into numerous briefings at very very high levels. I knew and and by the way this is unclassified now. So so I'm allowed to talk about it, right? <laughs> Good. So um so before anyone comes after me in Austria to you know to put me in jail that, that this is all legit now. So so I knew that they were violating and and we were having numerous discussions on the margins with the Russian and saying dude look here's here's the documentation <laughs> what we have intelligence systems that know how long and how far missile systems can fly you're going over 500 miles or 500 kilometers. and they would say no you're you know recalibrate your your sensors and all these other things right and then they finally came out in and 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 the united states came out and said we know and and now it's on now it's public the United States knows, 2013, 2014, we know you're violating, right? We, we have the evidence. We know you're violating. And Russia continually said, no, we're not. No, we're not. And then finally, the United States said, look, we're unilaterally withdrawing from INF. There's no reason for us to continue <laughs> staying in a, treaty, a bilateral treaty when the other side is completely ignoring it. That, that's just sure. stupid. And as soon as we withdrew magically, right? Russia announces that it has designed, funded operationally test or developmentally test operationally test, <laughs> and now has marketed and fielded a missile that would violate the INF. I mean, that that's impossible.
0: Right. right. <laughs> so, Which demonstrates so, that they had, they had broken it far, far earlier.
1: Right. So, so, so look, I, the, there's always context to all these things. And look I, and some, some the of US, them are not privy The to, US's so. hands are not clean in this. please when I defend these things, please realize I, I realize we the United States government has has number one done a horrible job of, of of providing information and transparency to its people so it's a victim of its own of its own issues. And by the same token, in 20 <laughs> here, here's one where I'll actually pick on the. US government a little bit right and, and, and support your narrative uh, And look, I, I try and I try and be as open as possible. In 2013, Ukraine was the chairman of the OSCE. So at the end of the year, there's an event called a ministerial. It happens every year for the OSCE. And then the nation that is the chair hosts the event in their nation somewhere, right? So in Kiev in 2013, all the nations are going to go uh, and there's their ministers or sex state, right, Hillary Clinton are Mm. going to go and basically sign all the documents and have, have their end of year statements. And, you know, this is the big strategic culmination of all the work of the year, right? It's what state does, right? It's what, what ministries of foreign affairs do. If you remember in 2013 though, that the Maidan incidents were going on, right? This, this was a big, a big issue. So people were asking Ukraine, do do, do you really want to host the ministerial in your capital where you have, you know, pretty significant active, you know, revolt uh, resistance <laughs> yeah. going on. And they said, yep, we're, we're, we're in, we're, we're still doing it. U.S. senior state department officials were invited. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we're invited as my little two-year-old boy just woke up. Uh, okay. We're invited in um, on diplomatic, right? So th- they're diplomats they are under, under black passports, they're guests of the nation, the guests of the of the of the government in charge, and some of them go down to the Maidan and are handing out food, water, uh, giving and in support of a rally against a sitting government.
0: Yep not not a good look. Right? No, <laughs> not a good look. I'll, um, I'll tell you from from the you know non-interventionist libertarian perspective, many of us have taken that as evidence that it was a a, a coup attempt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not saying, I'm not saying it was, I'm just saying like, it, like, what the fuck are we doing there?
1: Like that, that seems
0: very inappropriate. Right. So, so they,
1: they were there for legitimate reasons, right? Yeah. The, no, I mean, you just gave me
0: a backdrop that I wasn't aware of. So I appreciate that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they were there for, for, for a, a actual real event that was going on. And, and look, I, I was, again, I was the senior defense guy. I was the senior DOD member there advising. And, and I, and to be fair, I went down to the Midot. Right, mm. I, I went in civilian clothes. Right, I I, I didn't go with a press on entourage. I didn't take anything. I just wanted to see it. Right, I wanted to get a sense and a pulse of 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 the resistance, what was going on, and of the protest. I mean, some people had been shot early. i mean, This is a pretty pretty big deal, right? Sure. Um. So yeah, I went. I. I but I. But I. <laughs>
0: I didn't tweet about it, right? I didn't. I didn't and um, did you have and, any and, did you have any phone calls with Jeffrey Payot and Victoria Newland where you talked about who the new government would be?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm sorry. I, maybe I, you probably can't talk about oh, it I, even I, if you did, I, dude. I've, I've heard the audio, right? I, I, yeah. Okay. Every, everybody's heard the audio. Um, that, that so this is a really unfortunate situation, right? And and look, I, it's it, it doesn't play well. But I would tell you, whatever the nation is, nations always act in 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 their national interest. If you don't think that there is, maybe the audio doesn't exist, but if you don't think that there's discussions that Erdogan in Turkey, right, the leader of Turkey, or even the leader of the UK says, hey, the, the guy we want in is so-and-so. The guy we want in or the gal we want in the country X is so-and-so. And we're going to... Cre- legally right we're going to legally create situations that help that narrative right nations do this all the time the us just got caught right so, exactly so so to, to suggest that we're the only ones and and by the way russia does it too right so of course russia does its best job is how do you think lukashenko has won every election in belarus right if if people don't think that there's a, a meeting where where Putin and him go, dude, you're you're our guy. We're gonna fund you. We're gonna put money in to make sure that you stay in.
0: Okay, so yeah, unfortunate yeah. audio. But the, the, let let me say real quick. I, yeah, I, I I completely grant that most, if not all, nations attempt to do this. Just some some better than others. Um, you know my <laughs> my, my my issue is that you know we're doing it in kind of like. I mean, not, not kind of, and definitively what they have said and what was conveyed to Condoleezza Rice was the reddest of redline nations when it came to being added to NATO. I don't think that they were just doing that out of lip service for, for whatever reason, even if, you, even if your uh, assessment that the, the expansion of NATO was not uh, you know, the, the real reason that they invaded Ukraine, they were very explicit that adding Ukraine to NATO would be you know, cause for war. And, and they said it repeatedly and it was conveyed to Condoleezza Rice that it was, they encouraged them to stop saying that. And then in the three months prior to Russia's invasion, both uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden said once again, the door is wide open to Ukraine to joining NATO, which was an absurdity anyways, because as you know, you can't be added to NATO if there's any border disputes. Uh, or any, you know, hot conflicts. So it was like what the fuck are we doing? It's just like we're playing with fire for the sake of playing with fire and it just it seems uh, overly antagonistic and for the life of me I can't figure out why. If I don't know if you're able to talk about it, but if you have any insights I would love to hear it. Yeah, so I, I, I as much as I am uh,
1: a conservative, I believe that a will of a, the people matter. I believe that if if a a group of people recognized or represented by a government uh, legitimately recognized in the in the world right at the united nations or wherever have a voice and have a desire that 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 desire should be heard and to the best extent possible that that desire should be met right if they that they they want to do
0: that and the ukrainian people wanted to join nato well so some, so if some... they some did, but they, there was also there was also referendums that said that the that Ukrainian Ukrainian but there's people, people in the United
1: States that want us out in there, right? So well, so. no,
0: yeah, I'm one of them. But there's also <laughs> there's also there's also people. I mean, they had referendums that uh, said that Crimea and uh, you know I, I Luhansk Donetsk. Yeah, yes, thank you. Uh, that I granted, I don't know how legitimate these elections were, but they were landslides for them to be uh, either added to Russia or independent. And and it was like that, that. If you if you are going to go with people's, uh, you know, opinions matter. Uh, do you contend that those were illegitimate?
1: Yeah. So so that's interesting, right? Because another part, of a, a sub part of the OSCE uh, is a, and this is the world's worst acronym called ODIER. <laughs> Not joking. It's called ODIER. It's the uh, Democratic Institutions and Human Rights, and O'Dir basically is the benchmark standard for OSCE countries to go in and do election monitoring and election reporting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So every time a OSCE member state has an election, ODEER sends a conglomeration of people from all the different nations to go and monitor. Even in the United States elections, they go, you can go to the OSCE and, and pull up U.S. elections and see how the international community, which is awesome, right? This transparency, how the international community perceives what level of corruption the honesty and integrity that go into election pretty cool right um odier was not invited <laughs> to the mm. crimea the the loop. so i i dismiss those you know th- those were those were votes cast at the end of a gun barrel and i i just i'm not i i
0: dismissed them right fair enough uh, i, I heard that mention, they i heard that they had uh Uh, I don't know if it was UN, but some sort of observers that came in, but maybe not, maybe I I misunderstood that. But uh, for my audience's sake, because I I didn't remember what the acronym stood for, I I have read it before, but uh, OSCE is Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. I just wanted to let them know that in case anyone didn't know. Yeah, I'm sorry, I probably should. So it's 57 nation states that
1: have all come together. Um, It was started under the Helsinki Accords uh, years ago in the Helsinki Final Act. Um, it was a conference, actually, that actually has now manifested into an organization that that meets, you know, weekly. Uh, each nation has an ambassador assigned to it, along with staff. One of the things that's really nice about the OSCE is it is consensus based. So all fifty-seven nations have to agree <laughs> to uh-huh. to any kind of movement forward. The problem with the OSCE is it's consist it's consensus based, right? Right. You, you're, you probably you're, don't get much done. <laughs> yeah, so the, the nicknames of the OSCE, instead of what, what we know it to be, is the Organization for Sipping Coffee in Europe, because it's based in <laughs> Vienna, and, and, and there's, there's, there's tons of them out there, right? It's, it's really funny, but, um, so yeah, so Odir wasn't there. Uh, I, I would also say that, you know, when the Little Green Men came in, because um, that's what it was originally called, right? I mean, this is another information operations campaign. Putin said, I don't know who these guys are um you know they're, they're little green men and of course now he admits of course they were my guys I, 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 but you know at the time it doesn't you know it doesn't matter and we have such short attention spans as humans today in the in the in the, in the global electronic world that we're like little green men. I don't even remember what that was right. um well for so, my
0: audience's sake could you remind them <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure sure so that the way in which Crimea had started right was the um the West's argument was there were numerous Russian soldiers and sailors that were packed onto ships that had come into the Crimea ports right and then basically flooded out of those ships and then you know overwhelmingly by force took over Crimea. Crimea is a peninsula that has a really really actually thin geographic neck. So it's it's not hard to, once you get it it's not hard to secure it. Um, you just you just got to protect the neck and then the head is is fine. Um, the Ukrainian Navy really wasn't going to be a player because the Russian Black Sea Fleet was huge compared to them at that time. So that there, there's not going to be a fight there. When Russia was confronted, says, "Hey, these are Russian forces going in. They were not in Russian military uniforms. They were in, you know, paramilitary gear." And you know, Russia was confronted numerous times to say, "Dude, why?" And their answer was, "I we don't know who these guys are." We think that they're just locals who are rising up, right? Uh, <laughs> and you're like, mm, oh, okay, yeah, probably a lot of guns
0: for locals to have in Crimea. I've read that it was a coup de main. Basically, they they took it over without any bloodshed. Is that is that accurate or no? So earlier this year, I had uh, I had moved apartments, and because of that, my address wasn't updated with my insurance carrier, and they didn't send me an email or an updated bill, and unfortunately. I didn't have my bill forwarded to me. So because of that, I went to the hospital for a relatively minor thing, and I was stuck with over a $1,000 bill for what should have cost eh, nothing, basically nothing. (laughs) If you can't tell by now, the health insurance system is broken. Premiums are increasing, deductibles are getting larger, and claim denials are becoming more and more common. The headache of health insurance is exactly why CrowdHealth, our sponsor, was created. It's not health insurance, it's a better way to pay for healthcare through crowdfunding. CrowdHealth gives their members the freedom to efficiently and affordably break free from the antiquated insurance system and into a healthcare option that fits your needs. The insurance companies don't give you peace of mind you need, but CrowdHealth does. That's why your $50 a month membership includes the tools and services you need to get the highest quality healthcare. You'll get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, and so much more. Without doctors' networks messing things up, Plus you'll have access to your own personal healthcare advocate who will help you navigate the complexities of health events and even negotiate bills on your behalf. And of course you'll join the crowd, a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. It's time you opt out of restrictive health insurance plans and let Health help fit your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $50 per month. If you use the code lockdown to get the healthcare you deserve. CrowdHealth is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com. Promo code lockdown. We, it was such a, I mean,
1: it was such a good surprise attack, right? One of the tenets of warfare: surprise, mass maneuver, right? If you get good surprise, surprise is amazing. Just ask Hamas two weeks ago, right? right. Um, surprise is an amazing, an amazing tenet of warfare. If you can get away with it, you can do a lot of things. December, there's there's examples all over, right? December seventh, nineteen forty one, September eleventh. You can pull off crazy stuff with a really good surprise. Right. So, well, so so anyway, um, so that's what the little green men were. He eventually admitted it. But when the my point was when the little green men came in, right, the and, and scared a lot of the the people who were pro pro Ukraine and enjoyed being Ukrainian, they, they didn't stick around. <laughs> this wasn't mm-hmm. the place to be. So right. when you cast a vote, it's it's
0: again right not, it's I'm un, I'm under not a, duress not a fan yeah uh, that, that that's fair um well any anyways uh, let's uh, let's swing all the way back <laughs> to the middle east um <laughs> you know uh, my my biggest concern of i mean oh, i don't even i've already recapped my biggest concern world war 3 is my biggest concern but um you know what what set off the most red flags for me was just the body count uh, like the fact that you know i i have no military uh, background so uh, this is pure uh you know sophistry on my part but you know i've watched enough of the hamas's rockets be fired and when you see them you're just like yeah that couldn't kill that many people like they just they just clearly don't have the payloads uh to create that sort of human carnage so that that was like the first thing that that made me start to go like what the hell actually happened here and then i started to dig but uh go ahead and start there and just take it wherever yeah. you'd like so clearly it's not,
1: not if Hamas wanted to cause that kind of carnage and damage it clearly isn't from one rocket <laughs> right. it would take multiple rockets and we know there's just one explosion so you can you can eliminate the multiple rocket option right mm-hmm. um would Hamas would Hamas be so have such a desire to get a strategic messaging campaign out that they'd be willing to park a massive bomb in the hospital? And then allow it to blow up. I don't know. Hamas isn't the. I, I've fought a bunch of of radical Muslim fighters, right, in Iraq and Afghanistan. They're not the most sane and rational people, right? But to kill five hundred of your that, own that, followers, I, mean, that, I, I think that's it's pushing it. Is,
0: yeah. Yeah. No, it's certainly pushing it. But it's not even it's not even irrational per se. I mean, if you're if you're fighting a foe that you have no chance of victory against. And you're like, well, I need outside help. I need these neighboring nations to create a regional war if we're ever gonna take down Israel. Well, we need to create you know, a reason. And uh, so it's, it's not outside of the realm of possibilities, but uh, I personally don't think that's what happened here. But anyways, I didn't wanna derail too much. Go for it. It's okay. Um, and
1: before we jump to the Middle East, I, I really would like to, to close that, oh, you yeah. know, that uh, I'm sorry. And, and I'm just going to go back real fast because I think. I think we're going to end at the same place if you just <laughs> let me yeah. finish, right? go for it. So I believe that the United States should help Ukraine. I am infuriated at the way in which we are doing it. And, and let, allow me to explain. Right. So Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, he was the USERA U.S. Army Europe commander. Uh, he's very, very active, very, very outspoken, very, very uh, uh, speaks eloquently well about the war in Ukraine. And he predicted, as did I, that this war would be over by now um, and that Ukraine would have basically forced Russia to capitulate back to the 1991 borders of the Budapest Memorandum. We were both wrong. Right. And we've been, and people on Twitter point out we're wrong. (laughs) They they love to do that. Uh, But, but here's where we were wrong. Our hypothesis wasn't wrong from a military to military perspective. I feel very, very confident, Clint. If anyone ever asked me, Hey, military X versus military Y, can you tell me how that's going to turn out? I would tell them. Absolutely. The problem is militaries today and, and, and rightly so are controlled by civilian leadership. Mm. Right. And civilians make the decisions on how militaries employ. General Hodges and I both had the expectation when the United States says it's going to support Ukraine, that it's going to support Ukraine. And we haven't, right? Yes, he says it. Yes, he says we're going to do it for as long as it takes. But clearly, this drips and drabs and, and this slow roll of munitions and the slow roll of escalation to ATACMs and to F-16s has literally caused this war to drag on and cost hundreds of thousands of lives. I mean, we're talking about 500. God, don't get me wrong about five, any deaths, a bad death, hundreds. And, and we're probably close, getting close to a half a million dead When you That's add crazy. both sides together, I'm not joking. We're probably getting close to that, right? I agree. Had the, had the United States in the West said, okay, we're all in. What do you need? Let's go, right? Over th- This is the Colin Powell tenets, right? The Colin Powell philosophy. If you're going to go to war, go go massive, go fast, have a strategic plan, and get the F out. Right. And that's what we did in, in Iraq the first time, right? If you look at Iraq 1, we overwhelmed Iraq. We went all the way to the 30-second parallel or whatever the, the latitude was, and we told Hamas, okay, we're going to stop right here. We we've, we've secured back Kuwait. We're done, and we're going to go home right? Don't, don't F around again.
0: You mean Saddam. I, you said Hamas, but I think you meant Saddam. I'm sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Perfect. All right. So yeah, I, I need another cup of coffee evidently. Uh, <laughs> or you look at what we did. You look at what Bill Clinton did. And look, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a conservative, so I'm not a Bill Clinton uh, fan by trade. But when he told his military leadership, I need you to go in and get Kosovo and be free, we launched a 87 or 90 day air campaign that brought Slovan Milosevic to his knees and capitulated and said, OK, dude, I'm done. And what do we do? And we left. Yet yeah, NATO K-4 came in and, and is a peacekeeping mission. But we're done. Right. This isn't, you know, carnage and bloodshed for years. I wanted. Right. This is Jeff Fisher speaking. I wanted us to literally give Ukraine the tools to be able to overwhelm and push uh, Russia out. I realize, however, this is a unique situation, so I, I have to be cognizant of that. Russia has nuclear weapons. <laughs> Serbia didn't, and neither, neither did Iraq. Right. Yes, they do, but I have a lot of friends who are nuclear arms experts, and, and we can go into nuclear arms uh, uh, theory, and we can go into the whole concept of deterrence and the deterrence strategy. As soon as the nuclear weapons don't launch deterrence is over, I, it's a whole nother discussion perhaps for if you ever want to have me back, we can have that discussion, right? Um, but I don't believe that they were ever going to launch them. And I also believe that Russia as an entity was never at threat. Ukraine never had an intent to go all the way to Moscow and basically usurp and overthrow the Russian government. They just wanted to get their border back. So the, the narrative that, that you know, will we'll push Russia to a decision where it literally has no other option other than to launch nukes, I don't buy that. So I... Much like many other Republicans, but for different reasons, am very very furious at Joe Biden, right, and Jake Sullivan uh, for failing miserably in this war. Yeah, you and and and, and people that you know that are kind of in your camp are are angry with them for doing anything, yes. angry on the other side for not doing enough, uh, quick enough. Well, my, okay, so we, that's where my, I end.
0: Sorry, yeah, I I just wanted to say, you know, my my issue is that you know, I just try and put my, anytime I view geopolitical issues, I just try and put myself in the other side's shoes. And, and from, if I, if I was, you know, if you, if you view how America treats our hemisphere, it's like, we would never, we would never stand for our only year-round warm water port being taken away from us when we had a 50-year lease on it. And, and I think that that for me was like, well, this is just kind of going to happen you know like after the after you have uh the Maidan revolution and you have the uh the new leadership come in and then they tear up that that lease it was like well it was just like okay well this it doesn't surprise me at all i guess so and, and it's and it strikes me as you know like not good but as you said it's like nations look out for their best interests they are the more powerful entity and they just took it and they took it in a bloodless way so it's like you know that's kind of like the best case scenario, uh, and then it escalated from there, unfortunately. But I'm just curious if you disagree with any of that, or what do you think about that?
1: No, no, I think look, Russia cares about its Black sleeve fleet. That's a strategic location. Exactly. Like, this isn't this isn't uh yeah uh, eh, that's the capital. We lost it, but you know what what I do find interesting is even though they have Crimea and now that you know, uh, Kiev and the Ukrainian military have long range missiles, and they also have now, this is going to be a problem for Russia for years, depending on how long this war goes. True. There there are saboteurs and there are special forces uh, entities that are going to get in and they're going to keep blowing up subs and they're going to keep sinking command ships. And they're going, to, they're going right. to keep, you know, striking that port, which is why I don't know if you're familiar, but, you know, Russia just signed a long term strategic deal with Karabakh, uh, which was an old piece of it's one of the pieces they took of Georgia. Right. They're mm-hmm. going to move the Black Sea Fleet headquarters. Right. That they're, they're moving away from oh, Crimea. Oh, no shit. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny story. Uh, TRT World, when I was on their news, uh, they, they they were supposed to throw to me about another subject. And without telling me, they threw their, like, breaking. This. Uh, you know, they're like, and we have Colonel Jeff Fisher. What do you think? I was like, yeah. it was, <laughs> yeah, Don't do that again. That's not nice. I was live. So I appreciate <laughs> this isn't. Um, but, uh, um, so, yeah, so they're they're moving their Black Sea Fleet headquarters. So, so yeah, they, they secured Crimea for, what, almost 10 years now they're yeah. moving their black that they're forced to move their black sea that, fleet
0: again. That, that's interesting so um you know before we shift back to the israel palestine i'm i'm curious if you have any uh, opinion as to how this war winds down it seems quite evident to me much to your uh, consternation that we are kind of pulling to a large extent our support from ukraine and i don't think that they can sustain themselves against russia if russia desires to actually take over the entire nation i don't think that they desire that i don't i'm not sure that they ever have to be honest but um your assessment could be 180 degrees from mine so i'm just curious what you think so yeah my assessment is very
1: grim right um and and i hate to say that but here's here i just wrote an op-ed that it's probably going to come out next week on uh Basically trying to answer the people who say, let's get to a ceasefire and let's try and stop this war. Right. Mm-hmm. So that the op-ed is, okay, how? Right. What you, you want this, what would be the logical steps from diplomacy perspective from, from, you know, political leadership to, to, to get to that level? And the answer is, you know, I'll, 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 no one has to read my op-ed who listens to the thing. Cause at the end of the day, I'm just going to say, it's not possible. Right. Mm-hmm. You have two, you have two leaders. That are at war, that are not even cl- not even remotely close to their stated strategic objectives. Right, so they're not even close. The
0: thought, other thing I thought, is, is, I thought this was pretty close to what Putin said that he wanted. No, nah, he wanted he wants Kiev, dude. Oh, I mean, it was three three days
1: to Kiev, right? Was that the original plan, right? So oh, I didn't so- I didn't remember that. Yeah. So, well, that that was the, they they came in through Belarus and they wanted to basically take over the, decapitate the city and and take over the country. Right. And then they, the, the big um, convoy got bogged down. It was more than three days. They'd only had enough fuel and it's the same. So they left all the vehicles.
0: So yeah, he's, he's not from my, from my vantage point. I was like, I don't. I, especially since I don't speak Russian, I'm like I can't I can't ever really know what's happening over there. And then there's like a media blackout to a large extent on what Russia's saying about things. So it just puts uh, it puts the American people in a really tough position. Anyways. Yeah. So so I so so I
1: would say neither's close, right? And the other thing is not only are neither is neither one close, but if either were to capitulate and try and you know legitimately go to the negotiation table, right? Some level of of conditional ceasefire. Their political career is over. Hmm. If Zelensky, I mean, he's polling at eighty percent right now that the U- Ukrainian people want to fight. Right, right. You, you, you're, he's not in a political position to go negotiate. Right. um sure. I, By the my, same, my, by
0: the, my understanding is that Putin has been offering peace talks. Is he, that he has? Oh, right. And, okay, and, okay.
1: And, and that's the interesting. He's he's offered. So his minister of foreign affairs, Lavrov has 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 made hints that he's willing to go to the negotiation table but before he even gets there he's already he's already laid out <laughs> the red lines that rush and, and none of them are legitimate right let's like, so so it's you know it, it's not the most honest brokerage of of going to the negotiation table if you've already stated what your demands are um that that's not necessarily how negotiations work
0: especially at this level right Can, um, just out of curiosity though what yeah. what are what are they Are they demanding any additional territory? Uh, No, no,
1: no, no no NATO. uh, Current boundaries. Crimea is ours. uh, You know that these 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 things that that are just aren't aren't acceptable for Zelensky. Now they might be acceptable for the Russian people, but I think when you look at Russia, because. Of the way in which this war was sold to Russia, right? Ukrainians aren't us. Ukrainians are Nazis. Ukrainians are, you know, um, that this information campaign that the Russian people have bought off on, right? You've 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 poured so much gasoline on the fire. Right? We have to eliminate Ukraine. Ukraine has to go away. Ukrainian wow. people must die. That how do you how do you de-escalate from that, right? So that's the first problem. Um, the second problem that you have is, um, now uh, Im- imagine we can get past that. That's, so this this is a really good discussion, right? Imagine we can get past that and a fragile ceasefire is negotiated between Ukraine and, and Russia. Well, since neither one trusts each other, rightly so, right? Budapest memorandum broken on one side, Minsk agreements broken on the other side. Neither trust each other. There's going to have to be some kind of peacekeeping entity on either side of the border to actually do some level of control mm-hmm. what would that look like well ukraine's gonna say i want nato forces <laughs> on the russian border on my side because they're the Ooh. ones i trust yeah russia's gonna say nfw no, no, no freaking way right? right i'm not letting russian forces literally armed russian forces be on my border that's not that that's a red line. And who's going to be on the Russian side? Right? Russia's probably gonna say the only people I trust are China, Venezuela. So so now you've got Chinese armed Chinese forces on the Ukraine-Russian yeah, border with NATO. Forces. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, please,
0: please don't let that be the fucking resolution, Jesus Christ.
1: Right? So 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 yeah, I I'm I'm not I'm not comfortable and and look. I realize when I say it, people are like, "Well, that's a ludicrous solution," and it is. Right. I would ask people, though. I ask them to systematically think through a better one that you can propose. And when you try
0: to, it's pretty challenging. It's really hard. Yeah. Well, see, this is the the only reason I I lean towards accepting Russia's you know demands is simply because based off of my understanding of how they've they've reinforced their their battle lines, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like, you're not going to take that back like unless, unless it's a full on NATO invasion. Um, if I'm wrong, tell me, but but from what I've seen from the counterattack from the Ukrainians, they are not going to take that land back. So any thoughts? Yeah, so first of all, the, R-
1: Russia's good at defense. Exactly. Right. <laughs> R- Russia's amazing. They may not be very good on the offense, but Russia has proven itself since World War II to be an amazingly good defensive force. Zelensky, in my opinion, his strategic error here was waiting way too long to start his offensive, allowing Russia to lay you know, uh, defense in depth, minefields in depth, right? So you might get through the first one, but then you're in the second one, and then the third one, and the fourth, and it's yeah. going to be really, really hard. And this is this is part of why that the their counteroffensive stalled. Um, I am a mat. <laughs> probably going to disagree on this. I'm a massive fan of F-16s going to <laughs> Ukraine, and uh, I believe that once air power is able to come in, and you can have combined arms of air and ground, you will see a different battle. Um,
0: Man, I am not uh, looking uh, forward
1: to that. <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. I, look, I get it. I, I wish they had them a, a year ago, right? This would be over. We wouldn't be having this discussion.
0: Interesting. This would be done. But, that, but that's I, my opinion. We, I mean, we can you, agree. To- no, no. You, I mean, you may very well be right. But if that were the case, I don't think that you would have had Ukrainian you know, fighter pilots that could have handled that. So would you have wanted to see American pilots? No, no, no. So, so it's interesting right? because there's a lot of misinformation out there.
1: Um, General C.Q. Brown, who was the former chief of staff of the Air Force, now the chairman, right? When when all the discussions was going on, could could Ukrainian pilots fly F-16s? He finally said, dude, I'm sick of listening to the social media and the politicians telling me. So he, he wrote the chief of defense of Ukraine and said, I need you to send me two MiG-29 pilots. And I'm going to put them in Tucson, Arizona, where we train international students to go to F-16s. And I'm gonna have an assessment done by four of my best F-16 pilots, thousands of hours among them, instructors, evaluators, Top Gun graduates. We call Top Gun in the United States Air Force Fighter Weapons School, right? So, and I'm a graduate of it. Um, and we're gonna let them no shit evaluate thousands of miles away from Washington DC where literally I'm gonna get the real answer, okay? They, they were evaluated. Um, the answer consistently among all the F-16 pilots that evaluated them was it would take four months. Okay. Four months to train. Now, now I wanna I wanna clarify. Right, these MiG twenty nine pilots were combat hardened. Right, right. They knew how to fly and fight in combat. They knew how to do basic fighter maneuvers. They know knew how to do a ten degree dive bomb drop, thirty degree dive bomb. How to do defensive tactics. They knew the tactics, techniques, and procedures in air combat. Right. What they didn't, what they lacked, was an understanding of the F sixteen. Exactly. A brand new lieutenant coming in four months. No. Right. 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 It takes it actually takes years yeah,
0: for an aviator
1: imagine. to get to the point where that so it was the answer was four months to, to train him. So it, and by the way, that document's been leaked. I'm happy to share it with you. Uh, it was uh, for official use only, but it was leaked out. Yeah, uh, the share, letter.
0: Right? Huh? That was to share that leaked that one. I don't know who leaked it,
1: but but it basically was, was – it's four months. And and so this isn't a political – you know, this isn't a political statement. This was F-16 pilot study. I could, take, I could teach that guy how to fly an F-16 in four months in combat, right? Where where I think, you know, we're, the bigger issue is the maintenance, right? It takes maintainers years to learn how to, to do this. Sure. But I, I wrote an article for the Kiev Post. Obviously, <laughs> it's not unbiased, so it's in the Kiev Post. But I basically said, look, what the United States Air Force has done with the MQ-1 and the MQ-9 Predator and Reaper drones for years is called CLS, or Contracted Logistics Support. In other words, we don't have the manpower or the capability to do support for these airplanes. We will contract it out to General Atomics, or they'll subcontract it out for people to do the maintenance and maintain and bring in logistics and fix and do all this stuff. We just want to fly, right? There's 4,500 F-16s to date that have been built they are around the world many of them are now in mothballs but but the point is there are some exceptional maintainers in countries like Turkey in Greece in the Netherlands in Denmark in um, in Belgium and all of them are retired but they' the knowledge base on how to actually maintain f 16s still exists so they could have you could actually contract out to these people to say look I'll give you 100 grand to come in for six months. And do you know CLS on F-16s in eastern in Western Ukraine, right? So we're going to give you some level of security, and you're also going to do a hands-on you know training of Ukrainian main, maintainers. So left seat, right seat, uh, basically teach as you go. To and and you will eventually wean Ukrainian guys to do so. So there's always answers out there. Um, and and to be fair i think that's probably going to be the answer although i wrote the article back in march of uh, this year right. i think that's probably going to end up being the answer
0: so um so, so, so they'll, yeah. they'll have they'll have how many f16s will be flying in ukraine by 2024 it's, it's a great question they need 300 right okay um, but i would argue that uh uh um
1: they're probably going to end up somewhere between 25 and 50 um and so and there's do, a lot of it,
0: will that will that be enough for them to turn the tide
1: I don't know. Uh, they just got ATACMs, and that there was a big strike last night, right? So the Atekum snuck in, and there's a massive strike that happened uh, at a Russian airfield that took out a bunch of air assets. Um, you know, I don't know if it's enough, but I, I, I'll I'll play your narrative again, right? So here's where I get really mad at the at the United States, the U.S. and the U.S. defense industry, right? Let let's have, let's have a quick. I'll preach. You know, two- let's go. <laughs> <laughs> So for years, as an aviator, I was told that the Russian S three hundred and the S four hundred surface-to-air missile systems were, dude. If you fly in it, you're dead. Like these things are the most lethal Mm -hmm. air defense systems on the ground. Uh, We also called them the S, you know, SA ten, SA twelve, SA twenty. Okay, man, I'm never flying. I'm not going to fly in that thing. Intel tells me that these things are bad. And this intelligence, right, was also the fundamental groundwork that we laid to say, look, China and Russia share S-300, S-400 technology. So the Chinese coast is layered with S-300s and S-400s. And the only way, the only way that we can gain access and the only way we can protect Taiwan is if we go even more stealth, right, F-35s, right, and even more expensive weapons that are smaller, you know, radar cross-sections. And we spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars so that we can and, – and, and, and look, Congress buys it because Congress is briefed by intelligence, right? That's right. what the intelligence says. Who questions the intelligence? Um, well, guess what? <laughs> this war has gone on for over a year and a half, arguably for multiple years since 2014. Right. I know of two, I know of two Ukrainian Su-25 Frogfoot pilots who have flown each their 300th mission. Shit. In in the S-300 and the S-400. Now, for your listeners out there, the Su-25 Frogfoot was built in the 1960s. It's a close air support asset, so it ha- by definition it has to. It, it's not one of these airplanes that sits way off in the distance and out of the threat ring. It it. It has to be in the fight, kind of like our A-10, right? Mm. So to believe that these guys could have 600 missions between the two of them a year and a half into the war and that the S-300 and S-400 are invincible and will destroy everything is basically conflicting information.
0: Yeah. Has,
1: so. have, the, have the S-300 and S-400 changed the way in which they fly and fight? Have it Has it forced them to change their tactics? Sure, but it's survivable. Right. You can fly and fight in these in these things. Interesting. Additionally, now here's here's the really big kicker. Right. So Ukraine has destroyed, I want to say, three S-400s in the past two months. And I I actually had a friend who was a MiG-29 pilot in uh, in Ukraine. His call sign was Juice. Uh, Sadly, he was killed last month, ironically, in a training accident, (laughs) Not, not even in combat. He was killed in a training accident. It's really unfortunate. But his his girlfriend and I keep in touch on Twitter, and and you know she keeps in touch with the Make 29 pilots, who are all his friends. Imagine this: three S four hundreds, multi million dollar assets that have driven the U.S. defense industry to multi billion dollar systems were destroyed by quadcopters, duct tape, and nothing more than like a a, a few a hand grenade. Now I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much, <laughs> <laughs> right? But but really low cost tech solutions have enabled the Ukrainians to, to destroy these S400s, right. and you know necessity is the mother of invention. If sure. you're not going to give me F35s and you're not going to give me miniature air launch decoys and and long range strike ATACMS, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna find a way <laughs> to destroy S400s. So now you've got a defense industry that's got F 35s, they've got all these things out there. And now there's people me out like me out there saying, dude, what what are we? We can destroy these we can open up air power, we can open up the airspace, we can destroy these things. Let's go and let's have a discussion. And, and not a lot of people want to hear me talk about that. Like they they like to hear, you know, if you're a Democrat, you like to hear me talk about that we should support Ukraine. And if you're a Republican right now, you like to hear me talk about um, how the defense industry and the intelligence got the S-400 wrong. The truth is, I'm I'm my own person. I'm going to talk about both, um, which is which is why. And you probably know this, right? You probably get the same experience. My Twitter followers are, looks like a stock market chart, right? <laughs> like, oh yeah, like, yeah. Like, like people follow. Oh, you don't like him now. I like him now. I like him.
0: Of hilarious. course, man yeah i mean that's that just means that you're actually uh not just trying to appeal to your audience which is a good thing to do and for the record you're not going to appeal to many in my audience with the some of your takes here but that's fine i i i actually appreciate that we're having a a, you know a healthy back and forth with people that disagree i mean given your expertise uh, i would be a fool not to not to take your opinion seriously so um so i mean it sounds as if this war is probably not going to end anytime soon in Ukraine and I mean that do you know how many how many fighting aged men Ukraine has left like they've lost so many in terms of migrating out as well as dying on the battlefield or injuries it's like Jesus Christ how long can they go um well, the, the it's not only
1: the Ukrainians. I mean, there's a lot of people in Europe that that have disliked Russia, whether they're from the Baltics or from other places that are going in. And I'm not saying they're mercenaries, but they're basically signing on to, to go fight right. uh, in Ukraine. You know, We t- just talked about F-16s. I used to do what you did, right? I used to have a show called The Dish with Fish on a Twitter space. Um, and, and for other people out there, it's so hard. <laughs> I, I, I commend Clint what you do because it's really hard to to do to do what you do and I and one of the guys I interviewed was a guy by the name of Dan Two Dogs Hampton an F16 pilot perhaps one of the most decorated F16 pilots out there and um he he says hey as soon as F16s go I'm going I'm going to wow. go fly
0: that's right so this wild, is that
1: kind of – and he's like and I I've, I've got I've got a bunch of guys coming with me they don't want to identify themselves right now and I get that he's like but you're going to have to trust me I I've got F6 former F16 pilots are ready to go
0: that's wild man so we're gonna have American fucking F sixteen pilots in in Ukraine, huh? American citizen F sixteen yeah, pilots, yeah, for, right foreign or legion, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I God just want to be clear, it, right? Uh, no, yeah. no, I, no. You should be clear because that that does make a huge difference. Um, man, that's nerve wracking. All right. Well, we've yeah. I think we've we've talked about as much as we can about Ukraine without going you know crazy deep. So uh, let's let's shift back to the hospital in uh, in Palestine and, and you know kind of break that down. Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right, all right.
1: Um, so yeah, so I I really want to see um, I want to. I'll go right back to where we started. Right? I want to see imagery. I, I I'm not I'm not a BDA guy or, or a battle damage or bomb damage assessment guy, mm-hmm. um, but but I've seen enough to know what a rocket or or a ground based explosion should that possibly be a, a case versus a JDAM. Um, or an airborne 2,000-pound crowd pleaser. What's perhaps more important is for your listeners is where does this go, right? To be fair, the, is, the Arab world has already pinned this on Israel. So unless they have, no kidding, a hot smoking going, they're going to own it. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've watched the news, but basically the Arab nations that were going to meet with President Biden have all canceled their thing, and Biden's now canceled his visit. To me, that speaks way more volumes than than who, who did it, right? The, who's got the smoking gun? Um, and Israel only has so many cards in its hand, right? Yes, I would argue after last week, it has the moral high ground after what Hamas did. But that moral high ground, every time something like this happens, they have to turn in a card. And that moral high ground erodes. and And they're not going to be able to... You know, if, if, if things like this keep happening, they're going to be in trouble. They, they want to do this land invasion, right? And, and here's, where I, here's where I don't think the U.S. government gets enough credit, right? Massive flooding, the Israelis, ceasefire, not a, not a political ceasefire, but they, there's order, ceasefire, stand down, hold the line. Western diplomats, U.S. included, have done an amazing job over the last 48 hours in my opinion to get Hamas to make statements like we will give away all of the all the hostages in an hour right you just have to promise not to come in that 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 wasn't part of Hamas's calculus right hmm. without some divine intervention from diplomats back channel doing a lot of things i i, I can't believe Hamas just did that Right? That was that was never part of the plan. Um, uh, when you look at Israel saying we are now going to provide a corridor, a humanitarian corridor, and 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 I, I realize it, 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 dealing with Arab nations is not easy from a you know, Western. Divide. I can promise you, it's it's challenging because they'll they'll agree to something and then when there's too much heat from the press, they'll be like, no, I don't agree to that. I'm like, yeah, right, you did. Right, right. Dude, you got you got you got to toe the line. So I I applaud. The back-channel efforts of U.S. diplomats right now, I think we have to recognize that. What is infuriating to me is this is one of those examples where there should be transparency. The United States should be able to come forward and say, I just brokered this to actually de-escalate the the, the Hamas to do this. But we don't do that. And that's our own fault, right? It is. Um, so people just imagine, well, maybe maybe Hamas had a change of heart. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Probably man. not. Uh, well, <laughs>
0: hey, before you continue with that, let me uh, let me show you. Mario Nafal put out a uh, a video of the before and after from drone footage over the hospital. Let's watch it together. Neither of us have seen this yet. Just see what you think. Um, it says fire is a result of a failed launch by the Islamic Jihad terror organization. This is the hospital compound with a parking lot in the center see a bunch of burnt out cars. I'm just doing this for the audio listeners. Mm -hmm. This is the site of the fire kind of topography of the strike zone. No, no visible sign of craters or significant damage to buildings. Interesting. Okay. Well, that doesn't tell us a hell of a lot, but, uh, did you (laughs) see anything in that, that, that tells you anything? Um, so I appreciate being able
1: to look at the the before images of the of the of the hospital, right? because that gives me at least an idea of and 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 we have to we have to cage cage expectations in the West, right. When I say hospital to an American, they expect like a six, seven floor, seven story yeah. facility that you know that's got a you know an amazingly nice parking lot out front and flags and shrubbery and flowers and this this isn't Gaza right? Gaza is a maybe two to three story right. facility. We saw that the parking was actually embedded in the middle and and most likely that was actually just the staff. There's no people walk right there yep. to the to the hospital right. So. Um, uh, so that, that helps. I just need to see the, can I see the, 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 uh, not, not an overhead imagery. Overhead imagery is great, but I need, I need to see elevation, right? I need to see mm-hmm. what was knocked down. I need to see those kinds of things. So. I mean, what,
0: what, um, what were they implying I, by saying there was no crater that, that it couldn't have been a, uh, what is it called? J or whatever. A JDM. Yeah. Joint JDAM. direct
1: attack munition. So, so there is no crater, but, but a JDAM, right, can be programmed to do a lot of amazing things, right? Oh, shit, all right. Um, so it still doesn't so, tell us, damn it. <laughs> so so a JDAM can be programmed to, to kind of come in 90-degree down, a 30-degree dive, or it can come in maybe at like t- kind of slide in at 10 degrees. And I would also argue that when we listen to the audio, right, that snap – that, that's, that was a low angle impact, right? So the bomb comes off, gets low, gets kinetic energy, and then kind of drives in uh, and basically kind of pulls in. So if that's the case, if the JDAM was programmed to do that, you're not going to have a massive yep. crater. Yep. If it's a 90 degree impact, yeah, you're going to have a, a monster crater. So I, 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 I know that everyone wants to, to draw a conclusion and I feel really bad because no, I'm no, trying no. Get i trying to give my best expert advice. I just... I, I don't have anything definitive that I've seen yet, Clint. That says, "Dude, that's what it was."
0: So, I mean, the here's here's some other you know conflating factors that that have given me such pause. Um, according to Al Jazeera and and some other publications, and you know, take it with a grain of salt. I'm sure they have their own biases, but uh, there was a notice from the IDF to I don't know if it was Hamas or if it was just to the Palestinians broadly, but they were telling them get your ass out of these hospitals. <laughs> like like the implication being, we're going to strike them. Um, you know, my tendency is when you have a nation that is overpowered or overpowering another and they say, hey, you need to clear out of these sites. And then that site explodes. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna kind of assume it was probably you that blew it up. Uh, normally, I would think that the IDF and the Israelis more broadly would, would, you know, very much go out of their way to prevent a catastrophic, you know, elimination of 500 largely civilians because that would be so inflammatory to the rest of the Middle East uh what do you say to any of that
1: yeah that that, if I tell you to leave a building and then that building magically blows up um yeah odds are (laughs) (laughs) odds are right I mean and this is this is a long-standing tactic right when a when a when a when a bomber calls a, a, a bank and says, "You've got thirty, you know, you've got thirty minutes to vacate everybody," and then it blows up, if you can trace down who made that phone call, <laughs> you're probably exactly. going to know who blew up the bank. Exactly. Um. Uh, so yeah, I, look, that, that, absolutely valid. It, it's it's a lot of evidence against Israel. There's not a lot of evidence right now that that
0: that would be towards Hamas. Um. Just, just for my audience's sake, they should know that there, there has been footage that's been released that shows what appears to be a Hamas uh, you know, outgoing attack of, of a series of rocket fires, and then one of the rockets gets taken out, I don't know, by an air defense or whatever, and it, it, it kind of drifts down towards near the site of the hospital. I, I wanted to ask you this directly. Um, that doesn't strike me as being capable at all of creating this level of destruction, so is that just kind of a far-fetched, you know, exp- you know, try try to get <laughs> bailed out of jail type of yeah. thesis?
1: Yeah. So I've seen that video too, right? And and I would start by the same same argument that I did with the JDAM. I don't have conclusive evidence that that even hit the hospital, right? <laughs> right. I, I, I see an explosion from the JDAM. I don't know if that's the hospital. But, I but see even this if it one, did, could it? I do see it? this one rocket that that goes out. And either uh, it has an errant fin and it, it does almost like a 180 back, right? So it, so just for your viewers, right? It, it looks like it's got some kind of errant guidance, uh, yeah. massive malfunction. And instead of going out, it goes out for a little bit and turns around and comes right back. It's like a boomerang, right? It, oh, actually, I, actually I, I,
0: no, that that footage was actually shown to be uh, from from an earlier uh, battle. Oh, but- but the okay. the one the one I'm referencing, there's the series of you can see the trails of the the missiles that are going out. It looks sure. like it looks like it's Hamas's you know normal bottle rocket looking missiles. They don't look like serious American style missiles, uh, and and one of them actually gets struck. It like it looks like it like kind of blows up or like the the propellant portion of it gets blown up, and then it then it drifts down and and then there's the explosion on the ground. It's not a it's not an enormous explosion uh, first off, but two. I mean if it is a hamas rocket and if it's not even being driven into its target it just strikes me as being an impossibility that that would be enough you know even honestly even if it was as we've already gone over if it was one hamas rocket that's still just not enough to create this kind of catastrophe so what what is is there any plausible explanation like i I guess is like is the is the thesis that they're trying to float that if it's not that would it have to have been like a, a bomb that was planted by Hamas in the hospital. Um. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I I'm reaching here, but I'm trying to steal man. I know, the I IDF know, but, side.
1: But, and Clint, here. so here's here's the dilemma, right? If you ask me to, and 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 let's let's say I took away all the missile discussions, right? This isn't this isn't in Israel. All I saw was what you just showed me. For, this is just an example, right? So people, people, please don't think that I believe this, right? <laughs> so I'm just, sure. I'm just giving an example, right? A hypothetical. So all we have is from what Mario uh, just showed, okay? And you say, "Holy cow, fish! What happened here? Five hundred people in the hospital died, and I, I have no missile information. I have no JDM information. I, all I have is that picture. I'm going to say, God, you know what it looks like? It looks like there might have been a car bomb." Because there was cars, right? Yeah, you know that's a great. That, point. That's where it started. Maybe someone, and I'm not saying Hamas intentionally. I'm saying maybe, maybe an Israeli special ops force put a bomb in mm. a car, and it, it was a doctor's car, and he drove to work, and just like he normally would, and he parked in the parking lot. Intelligence would suggest that the parking lot's in the middle of this. So if you believe that Hamas is using the hospital for um, nefarious activities and you want to destroy it, getting to the middle of the facility is a good place to hit. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the car bomb explodes. And Oh, by the way, there's ongoing strikes through the night. So I don't know if the JDAM actually hit the hospital. I don't know if the rocket hit the hospital, but I now know from overhead that there was the site of the event was a parking lot. Interesting. Maybe it was a car bomb please again <laughs> no 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 that, that's or, totally i'm 40 fair. people
0: don't 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 believe that I yeah don't don't easy. take it to the bank but it's worth yeah. it's worth considering i mean we're we're in the fog of war here so like i'm i'm just trying to give my audience the best possibility of like having some some guess as to what may have happened here that we we're, we're not going to come away with a definitive answer and honestly Unfortunately, we may not know for a very long time and <laughs> or ever, uh definitively. So it's uh, I just think it's it's valuable for people to hear, you know, all sides of this thing. Cause I, I don't I don't want to take Hamas's PR release and I don't want to take the IDF's IDF's par uh you know, PR release. It's like we we need to assess this for ourselves. So um yeah. any other thoughts on it? Uh
1: to be fair, whoever did it. Um, The narratives are already out. If you support uh, Palestine and Hamas, you've already drawn your conclusions. If you support the IDF, the vast majority of people have already drawn their conclusions. Uh, The fact that we don't know as civilians uh, who did this yet, the Arab League uh, leaders that were supposed to meet with Biden have canceled their visit, and Biden's the 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 damage is done. Right. Yeah. Wh- whoever intended or didn't intend it, damage has already been caused by this event. And like I said, if depending on which team you support and I hate to use the analogy that that can conf- conflicting sides in a war are like sports teams. But it today that's kind of like what it's become. Right. Um. You've, you've already you've already punished the other side and claimed that they've done it and your side wasn't at fault. Right. So
0: well let's let's finish with this the the grim prognosis or diagnosis if you will um you know i I'm tremendously concerned that uh you know you, we've already seen reports of Hezbollah and Lebanon that are having back and forth fights with Israel in the north um there's the potential for Iran uh particularly given that many people view uh, Hamas as their proxy um you have egypt potentially you have a lot of other nations that aren't really on our radar right now but could be players if if they actually see this as an opportunity to you know wipe israel off the map as many of them have have you know (laughs) preached to their to their people for a very long time uh and and my gravest concern is that if that happens i mean that's a that's a bad outcome just on its own but then obviously my gravest concern is that America has some fight uh strike strike teams in the Mediterranean already 2000 troops en route uh you know Biden was potentially going to be in Air Force 1 o- over this fucking battle zone which scared the shit out of me fortunately he turned that around uh, it just seems as if this can escalate out of control very rapidly and i i'm just I, obviously there's no way either of us can know but do you share my concerns and, and what do you think Share your concerns, but I would tell you that I think this conflict has a far
1: greater opportunity for de-escalation than than the one that I laid out earlier for yeah, Russia yeah. and Ukraine. I could see that. Um, I am I am an optimist at heart, right? <laughs> so I would say that to begin with. Um, but and and look, I don't have the hundred percent solution. But this is Jeff's answer to how you de-escalate. Take it for what it's worth. NATO, the United Nations and the Western world have numerous places that people probably aren't even aware of anymore that still maintain peacekeeping forces. Bosnia, Kosovo, Mali, the Golan Heights, Cyprus. And and these places keep lids, if you will, on escalation to stop. I would love to see the Arab League world come together together. With their militaries, and and look, Saudi has a strong military. Egypt has a strong military. Jordan has a strong military. And I would love to see them say, we are going to create a peacekeeping force Mm -hmm. that we are going to put into Gaza, right? Please, and Israel, please let it
0: be them and not the U.S. Please, please, please.
1: Well, but Right. And, and so this is the point. Israel, you just agreed to the Abraham Accords. The, we have the best relationship between – prior to this, we had the best relationship between Israel and Saudi going, right, uh, Jordan, between Jordan and Israel. Let's put these three nations or who a coalition of the willing, whatever it looks like, right, that not only goes in and – does a peacekeeping mission, but also de-arms Hamas. I'm mm-hmm. not saying eliminate Hamas. There's a clear difference. There's a there's a political arm of Hamas, and there's a militant arm of Hamas. Right. There are actually other political parties in in Gaza. The Palestinians yeah. have that are not that are not Hamas. No, they don't they don't have militant arms. So they, they really don't get a lot of say. <laughs> but right. but let's let's de arm Hamas. Let's have Let's have elections that are monitored and what the people of Palestine want, and then let's actually start building out a true defense force, not a military that is intended to actually eliminate and remove Israel from the world because that's what one, that's what a defense force can look like, but one that is willing and prepared to defend Gaza or the future Palestinian state, the two-state concept, right? Sure. And and. And come to a, an agreement where both Israel and Palestine can coexist. And it's going to take years for those peacekeeping forces to stay there. But it's their neighborhood. It's their friend. And it's the ones that those nations say Palestine has a right. I, I think it's a little disingenuous when Jordan and Egypt say things like, we d- we support the Palestinians, but we don't want any of them here. Right? You're right. You're right. Mm, yeah. O- okay. Well then mm-hmm. if you don't want them there, then mobilize some of your force, go in and and create a peacekeeping force that is acceptable, right? So when I say acceptable, I I, I want to elaborate a little bit on that, right? The Egyptians can't roll in heavy tanks, right? <laughs> they sure. can they, they Israel will have some say of what kind of weaponry will be able to go in there. And I, I think Hamas the militant arm of master days are are done they they went too far and and they have to be defanged
0: interesting well that, and that that may be uh what comes to pass and because you're more optimistic i will i will paint the the more negative one uh my buddy majid nawaz uh tweeted out just a few hours ago that a black flag has been raised over imam reza's shrine in iran for the first time in history the symbolism in islamic historic tradition Quote, when the black flags come from Khorasan, Persia, which, which is Persia or Central Asia, go to them. Even if you have to crawl on snow, among them is the caliph of Allah, the Mahdi. And this is the photo. It is a black flag over their temple. Jesus Christ, that fucking scares the shit out of me. Um, I'm going to stop looking at that now. Um, any any additional uh, concerns with seeing that? Or is that just uh bluster? Yeah, it's only what it's... It's nine thirty here, and you just ruined my day.
1: So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so thanks. But uh, look, um, the Arab world and the Muslim world, and I have a lot of friends in it. So, this, it's, it's. I'm just trying to state facts. They spin up rapidly, right? They, they really, they can beat themselves into a tizzy faster than I think almost any other than almost any other ethnic group or or religion or whatever. Um, and they don't de-escalate anywhere near as fast, right? So, so I don't. I, what you just showed me doesn't doesn't make me happy. I'm hoping that cooler heads can prevail. I would love to see a little bit longer of a ceasefire and Israel delay their invasion into in into Gaza. Um, but I would also say that you know, and Netanyahu's been fighting for his political career, right? I mean, he was he was ousted and then he came back in. Right. The Jewish community around the world wants blood.
0: Uh, and and if he doesn't deliver it, they'll put someone in who does. Yeah that's I mean what what frustrates me about that is you know the the whole reason from my vantage point at least, the whole reason that uh, you know a terrorist group like Hamas would do this is the same reason Osama bin Laden committed 9/11 is like they know that they have a totally overpowering foe that they can't possibly topple but they can inflame them enough to do something stupid enough that might actually topple them. And financially uh, and militarily and a whole bunch of other ways, we've really destroyed America to a large extent based off of our reaction to 9-11. And I fear that the Israelis are on that path right now. And um, I also have similar questions to uh, that I did to 9-11 when it comes to the six or seven hour lag time between the attack and, and the response from the IDF. But um, I'll end with this. Uh, do you have any... Oh, sorry. The, to finish my point, um, you know, if Israel is too bloodthirsty, if they, you know, if they're responsible for this hospital strike, if it's proven, uh, if they, if they go in with a ground force, or if they even just comp- continue with a significant bombing campaign, which has already killed well over a thousand people, uh, I think that there's the potential that they inflame the Arab world or the uh, Islamic world so much that they have a real regional war from multiple fronts that, that could actually really existentially threaten them in a way that Hamas never could. Uh, so, I don't know. I guess I would just encourage them to learn the lessons that <laughs> that we, we may not have from the war on terror. But I'll end with this. Do you have any uh, opinion as to i don't know if you've looked into it but that six or seven hour lag time it does strike me as extraordinarily bizarre that given it's the most technologically advanced border and one of the most you know highly monitored borders uh, that they were able to get in and then to have no real pushback for such a extended period of time it's just bizarre
1: yeah so though i don't have a complete answer right but i will say that the IDF had just gone through a massive exercise. They they called index, which means the end of the exercise, right? Uh, and since you'd called all your folks into your exercise and had a lot of guys come in to overtime, as soon as index hit, it happens, you really demobilize fast. Guys want to go home, gals want to go home. They want to be with their family. It's a holiday, so they want to be with you know they they want to get out of there. And you go to like a min Manning kind of construct, right? Uh, because you, you you just exercise your guys. You you gotta you gotta rest and recoup. Hamas knew it, right? Okay. <laughs> Hamas had the timing down. Uh, so th- we talked about the tenant. Do you
0: think that they had, uh, you know, a spy in there? Oh, absolutely, could- absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, and, and then the other thing is, right?
1: So, so what's the what's what's part of the intent of an exercise, a military exercise? You know, when when Russia would would do something, you would hear the United States and NATO say, "We're going to do a major exercise in the Mediterranean." The intent of the exercise is a, a show of force. Right. Mm-hmm. So Israel announced their exercise. We're gonna do an exercise, blah, 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 show of force, which is intended to send a message. <laughs> it did. Right. Mm-hmm. And Hamas listened. And I know when your exercise is going to be over. And I know what happens when an exercise is going to be over. Maybe, maybe senior leaders need to be thinking, thinking about that. Right. I yeah. get infuriated mm-hmm. as, as a senior military guy. I get infuriated when politicians keep saying things and drawing red lines. Mm-hmm. Right. Because red lines and and war rhetoric and saber rattling only do one thing from a military perspective. That is, you're taking away my 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 tenant of surprise. Right. The enemy is not going to be surprised of me coming in. You know, Mr. President, if you keep saying, "I'm going to send my forces in," yeah. and surprise has amazing value. Right. We've right. already and talked just, about it.
0: And they're just giving it away because it's politically they get to you know put their dick on the so, table. <laughs> unless it's a bluff, right? So right. Interesting, yeah. man. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I, it gave me a lot of insight um, in areas that are not my expertise. So I really appreciate it. Go ahead and tell people sure, where man. they can follow you, where they can pick up your books, everything else.
1: Yeah, so all my books are available globally on Amazon. Uh, my name is Jeffrey uh, H. Fisher. Uh, it's Live Range, Balkan Reprisal, and go, uh, Afghan Ghosts. They're all based on my military career. They're about as real as fiction can get. Um, because of the clearances I held, I, I couldn't actually write nonfiction in and get it through through the <laughs> Pentagon. So, uh, so when you read it, there's a lot of real stuff in there. And then sure. my fourth book will come out on Veterans Day. It's called uh, The Russian Puppeteer, about a fictitious war between Ukraine and Russia. Right. So,
0: <laughs> so so that'll be <laughs> the fourth be one. There'll be some insights in there. I might have to pick it, that one exactly. up exactly. Uh,
1: and then uh, and then you, just like just like you found me, Clint. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's at Jeff Fish F I S C H. I love my followers uh if you do the stock market thing where you follow me for a while and you don't i get it right i completely <laughs> understand but but i uh, clean i again i want to thank you for this I hopefully we can do it again i enjoy talking to you and and um um you know if you want to have me as a regular or come back or you have any of your
0: audience that says hey why don't you ask uh fish this just let me know i'm happy to come back i, I really appreciate it. and that's uh, f-i-s-c-h-e-r just wanted to make sure that they get that right um yeah thank you for the insights sincerely uh it's it's a time of great confusion and concern <laughs> i'm speaking for myself but i'm sure uh the thousands of people that'll hear this later will will f- are feeling similarly and i hope that it, it gives them some some guidance some clarity uh answers some questions and Let's let's pray that we can avoid a a really significant war for for all of our sakes, the Israelis, the Palestinians, everybody involved, and also uh, you know our troops domestically. So, thank In you. Inshallah. Yeah, Inshallah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. See you, buddy. Take care. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I know that was a longer interview than I normally do, but there was so much to cover. I didn't actually intend to cover Russia, Ukraine with that level of depth. Uh, Didn't expect that at all, Uh, but I did find it insightful and I I really enjoyed being able to kind of put my understanding of that conflict up against someone who served over there for a very long time. I did think that he had uh, some interesting points as to some assessments that I've had, you know, to the nature of the Maidan revolution, things like that. I'm not sure that he necessarily shifted any of my opinions dramatically, but he gave me some things to chew on, and I will i will be doing some additional follow-up research to see if I agree with some of his assessments. He is a company man after all. He did work for them for a long time. By them, I mean the uh, you know, U.S. military. So, But anyways, I do really appreciate his time, and I hope you guys will check out his work. And uh, yeah, that's it. Hit the like button. Leave a comment. Hug your mom. Kiss your dad. Love yourself. Because you're the best. We're out of here. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please end your bar code. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from, and where did it go?